The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church in Ackerman, Mississippi. We invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For more information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org. I'd like to return to the book of Acts this morning as we've been looking at the expansion and the growth of the kingdom of God. And certainly it's our prayer that the Lord will bless our local churches and our local area of the kingdom. And as we try to examine how the Lord does see fit to uh, grow and expand his kingdom, there are things we need to be doing and activities we need to be engaged in. But the first step of the growth of the kingdom is actually waiting. It's waiting. And we see that in the first chapter of the book of Acts. Now, I do want to give the caveat that as we wait, uh, we're not simply just sitting idle and waiting. Uh, There is activity associated with waiting. We're told to ask, seek, and knock. So we ask and we wait patiently, but many times the way that the Lord opens the door is through our seeking and knocking. So we wait patiently, but as we wait, it's not that we're just sitting idle. We're waiting on the Lord to open the right door at the right time according to his will, okay? So here in Acts chapter 1, which is the beginning of the expansion of the kingdom of God outside of just the 120 disciples. He has instructed them here for 40 days after his resurrection and before his ascension. And he spoke of things, Acts chapter 1 and verse 3, he spoke of things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, Ye have heard of me, for John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized, immersed, fully engulfed with the Holy Ghost, not many days hence. So they were told to wait, but thankfully he did give them a little bit of an advance notice that it's not going to be too long, just a few days hence. And then they asked him, at this time, are you going to restore again the kingdom to Israel? Bless their heart, as we've said many times, they still didn't get it. And Jesus said... It's not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Lord hath put in his own power. But ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And this applies in the context of the kingdom of God, but... Waiting applies in every area of life. I I know at each stage of life that I've been in, there's always something that's ahead of you that you desire, that you hope will the Lord, and according to his will, may bless to come to pass. And you're always waiting on something that's right on the horizon. And it's very difficult to wait patiently on the Lord's will. That's just reality, right? I think we can all agree with that. This morning, it's it's difficult to wait 
patiently on the Lord's will for the right situation and the right door to be opened at the right time. Now, as we wait, as we wait, the most important activity in waiting is prayer, right? It's prayer. And that's what we find here with these early disciples, the 120 disciples, as they're here in the upper room. Jesus, after he tells them, you need to wait, uh, they actually only end up waiting 10 days, roughly 10 days. You have 40 days uh, after Jesus' resurrection, he instructed them. He goes back to heaven. And then on the day of Pentecost, Pentecost means 50, so 50 days after that, uh, 40 or 50 minus 40, about 10 days, about 10 days they had to wait. So thankfully it wasn't Abraham had to wait 25 years, right? They only had to wait 10 days. But what were they doing as they were waiting? Verse 12, Then returned they unto Jerusalem from the mount that's called Olivet, which is from Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. And when they were come in, they went into an upper room where abode both Peter and James and John and Andrew and Philip and Thomas and Bartholomew and... Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon Zelotes, and Judas, the brother of James. And they all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brethren. And the rest of the chapter is when they decide on Matthias to replace Judas Iscariot as the twelfth apostle. So as they were commanded to wait, notice first of all, they were together in unity church was together in one accord and they were waiting expectantly in prayer waiting in prayer and then we know in the next chapter how the lord just amazingly opens the doors of heaven to baptize and immerse them with the holy ghost as these apostles were filled up with the holy ghost and they preached the gospel in languages that they did not have formal training in, and the Lord added 3,000 people to the church. So we see that the Lord manifests His Spirit in this powerful way, but they had to wait patiently on the Lord to open the door and to manifest His Spirit in the right way and at the right time. Something we always have to keep in mind is that we can never go ahead or outwork the Holy Spirit, okay? I think this is a good time to just remind ourselves of the truth that we already know, of the purpose of the gospel and the means of regeneration, right? The majority of Christianity would say that that regeneration is conditional, that if you perform something, God has an offer out there, and whatever that offer is that you meet, God is willing to to born you again if you perform this condition, whatever that condition is, belief, prayer, faith, acceptance, baptism, whatever that condition is, he's willing to born you again if you do this. But instead, we know that the truth of Scripture is not that regeneration is conditional. Regeneration is unconditional on our part when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace. It was according to God's goodwill and pleasure. So with that understanding, we know that we are not the means by which people are born again to be saved to heaven. We are the means by which we spread the good news of the gospel where they can have joy unspeakable and full of glory, right? 
But with that understanding, we know that the Spirit always is moving ahead of us. And when we see open doors expanding, when we see God opening doors, that is evidence that the Spirit of God has already been there, right? We have to wait on the Holy Spirit to go ahead of us. And I just want to highlight a few of these. We've already mentioned quite a few of these as we've been having this overview of the book of Acts. But how the Spirit is always moving ahead of the expansion of the kingdom. Obviously, we see here in Acts chapter 2, these are not unregenerate men who are on the fast track to hell and they need to accept Jesus to go to heaven. No, these are devout men that are in Jerusalem for a feast day, but they are worshiping God, but not according to knowledge. They're, they're uh, worshiping God in the right spirit, but they don't have the truth that they need. So these are devout men that are pricked in the heart, which is evidence of them being regenerated, and then 3,000 of them join the church. But then highlight a few more of these of how the Spirit was always moving ahead of the ministry. Acts chapter 8, we find uh, that Philip goes to Samaria, and then they receive the gospel there, and they're baptized, and then the apostles come, and they lay hands on them, and they receive the special manifestation of the gift of the Holy Ghost. That's not when they were born again, but that, that special gift of the Holy Ghost was an external display that was evident to people around them to certify that this was an authentic conversion. And, and that's one of the reasons why the Lord allowed these, these external miraculous sign gifts, if, especially if we're going to make our way to Cornelius here in just a minute. They were able to say, Peter, and along with the witnesses that came with him as they, the Holy Ghost was poured out and they spake in tongues, they were able to say that... The Spirit and the Holy Ghost was poured out on them in the same way it was to, uh, on us on the day of Pentecost, and that allowed those who were not there to believe the testimony that, yes, God had actually opened the door to the Gentiles, okay? So that's one of the reasons why God allows this gift of the Holy Ghost to be manifested in this external way is for the purpose in these days of certification to know this is authentic, okay? So... We see that these Samaritans who were looked down on by the full-blooded Jews, if you will, that the Lord manifested that the Spirit had already been there. Then Philip is moved by, told originally by an angel, to go out in the middle of the desert, in the Gaza desert. And then it says in Acts chapter 8 and verse 29, notice, then the Spirit said to Philip, go near and join thyself to this chariot. Now the spirit had already been moving in the eunuch, right? He had been praying and obviously he was struggling to understand Isaiah 53 that he was reading there in the chariot and the spirit was moving him to pray, Lord, give me understanding. And then the spirit was moving on the other side of the transaction to move Philip to leave, to leave this booming revival here in Samaria and then to put him in the exact right place at the right time for that chariot to be passing him at the exact right time. I'll tell you, I love the intricate details of God's providence. I, I love to see the, the big picture, right? I love to see the big picture of God's providence, but boy, it's exciting when you see God's providence happening in a matter of seconds, right? 
And he's in the exact right place. He's been traveling for a couple days out in the middle of the desert in the middle of nowhere. And it just, right, it just so happens that he's in the exact right place at the exact right time by the direction of the Spirit for that chariot to be passing by that exact place, you see? So we see the Spirit moving ahead of him. Obviously, in Acts chapter 10, we see Peter and Cornelius, and we see Peter's praying, and then we have Cornelius praying on the other side of it. And the Spirit gives Peter this vision and gives him a confirmation that he needs to go. And then when, uh, when Peter shows up, he already sees the evidence that the Spirit is already there, right? Again, similar to those devout men in Acts chapter 2 that were already born again, they just needed to accept that Jesus was the Christ and, and profess that publicly. Cornelius was already a devout man, verse 2, one that feared God with all of his house, and God heard his prayers. He answers his, his alms came up before God. He's already a born-again man. And Peter goes, and he, when he shows up, <clears throat> this is what he says. Acts chapter 10 and verse 34. Of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons, but in every nation <clears throat> he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. So when Peter shows up, he says, I see the evidence by the actions of Cornelius and his friends and his family that are gathered here that are ready to receive the word, I already see the evidence that the Spirit has already been here before me, you see? I already see that they fear God. I see that they have a, a desire to hunger and thirst after righteousness. And then after that, again, the Holy Ghost fell on them in a special way as a confirmation, as a confirmation, so Peter could go back and tell those in Jerusalem that they are accepted with the Lord just like we are, okay? And then, Acts chapter 13, this is the beginning of Paul's first missionary journey out to the Gentile world. How did the Lord manifest that that door was open? We find here that the prophets and the teachers in that church were diligently praying, verse 2, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted. With fasting and prayer, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed, they laid their hands on them, and they sent them away, waiting in prayer, right? Waiting in prayer. Acts chapter 16. We talked about this one in depth with the Apostle Paul being suffered uh, and prevented from going into Asia and then going into Bithynia. And then he sees this vision of a man of Macedonia. And he is receives this confirmation that that is where the Lord would have him to go. And then he arrives there, and the first people that he interacts with is Lydia, seller of purple, along with devout women here on the side of the river. And the Spirit goes out of its way in the scriptures to tell us in verse 14 of Acts 16 that Lydia worshiped the Lord, heard us, whose heart the Lord opened. You see, the Spirit was already there ahead of the preaching of the gospel. And then Acts chapter 18, we find in Corinth that some people are converted and the Apostle Paul is facing some some persecution and some fear and some trepidation. And then the Lord, through the Spirit, speaks to him in Acts chapter 18 and verse 9, Be not afraid, but speak and hold not thy peace, for I am with thee, 
and no man shall set on thee to hurt thee, for I have much people in this city. Very similar to some of those people in the Old Testament where Elijah said, I'm the only one left, I'm the only one that's serving God, and the Lord told Elijah, listen, I've reserved unto myself 7,000 men that have not bowed their knee to the image of Baal. Now, where were those 7,000 men when Elijah was standing alone against the 850 false prophets on Mount Carmel? Well, they weren't there, right? They weren't living out their faith as boldly as they should have. They were the closet Christians. But hopefully, sometimes all followers need is somebody as a leader to follow, right? We hope that they came out of the shadows after that day there with the powerful manifestation of Jehovah God on Mount Carmel. But <clears throat> the confirmation and the encouragement that the Lord gives to Paul is that the Spirit of God is here in this city working and moving ahead of you and that is the encouragement that I'm giving you to labor and minister in this city because I already have much people in this city and, and my spirit is already moving in this city, okay? And then we see the amazing uh, blessing and growth that happened during the Apostle Paul's 18 months in the city of Corinth. So the spirit of God in the expansion and growth of his kingdom is always moving ahead of us and ahead of the open doors. And what the reason why it's so important that we have to wait and humbly submit to God in for those open doors is because if the Lord is not moving ahead of us, it will not be fruitful. Right? We we can't just arbitrarily pick something to do and expect that to be successful. That's one of the reasons why we do not believe that missionary boards are a scriptural pattern for discerning how to spread God's word and especially to go into other countries or other, other areas. Uh, the Lord opens doors for new avenues of ministry to preach the gospel, but it's always through the local church. It's not through a third party voting and deciding what the right place for some other person to go is, that's very impersonal, isn't it? That, you know, uh, the Spirit of God is what opens doors for ministry, whether it be in other countries or locally. The, the Spirit moves that. It's not uh, people at a state level voting on where I think someone should go, right? That's why we oppose that. There's nothing, uh, there's nothing more biblical than spreading the gospel in other countries than, and places that have never heard the word of God, but it's under the authority and the direction of the local church, just like we see in Acts chapter 13, the local church laid hands on Paul and Barnabas and gave them the authority to go out. And if the Lord is in the matter, he will also take care of all the appropriate finances and everything else associated with it as well. <clears throat> So we see the Lord is always moving ahead through his spirit. He always is 
multiple steps ahead of us for open doors to be successful. I want to go back to, in the Old Testament, to Ecclesiastes chapter 3, as we think about waiting on the Lord, but this applies in waiting in every other area of life as well. Uh, It's ultimately the Lord's will and not our will of not just the outcomes of things that happen in our life, but the timing of those outcomes. And that's what's so exciting to me about seeing the providence of God in action. It's not just the outcome. It's, It's not just that you've reached the finish line of of where you hope to be and then the Lord blesses you to arrive at that destination. What's beautiful is to to understand the way the Lord and His providence is constantly working and interweaving in every area of life to where not only does the outcome just happen, but it happens in the exact right place, in the exact right time, and in the exact right way. And one of the most challenging times and seasons for us in the church, but especially in our personal walk of discipleship, one of the most challenging seasons of discipleship is waiting. Waiting on the Lord to open a door. Waiting on the, on the clarity and direction of the Spirit that this is not just a decision I need to make, but this is a wide open door that this is a decision I need to make right now at this time. And here in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, Solomon is writing this as an old man who's, who's bitter and has seen a lot of life, both the good and the bad, much, much of the bad because of his sin and his apostasy of rejecting Jehovah God later in his life through the corruption of all those women that he allowed to corrupt his mind. And he's seen life in general, but he's also been blessed by the Spirit of God to be the wisest man on the face of the earth. And he has seen highs and he's he's seen lows. He's seen all spectrums of life. And he's saying here in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, to everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under the sun. Now, before we go further in that, I want to read for you again what Jesus told the disciples in Acts chapter 1. It's a reality that there are different times and seasons in our own life. There's different times and seasons in the church and in the kingdom. But also, we are commanded to walk by faith and not by sight, right? So he tells the apostles here in Acts chapter 1, Yes, it's a reality that there are times and seasons in life, but also it's a reality. Your responsibility is to wait patiently and prayerfully on the Holy Spirit because it is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Lord hath put in his power. So it's a reality that there's different times and seasons in our own life and in the kingdom and in the church. But it's not up to us to fully know those times and seasons. No, we just take one step at a time by faith and trust the Lord to open the right door at the right time. And then he goes on to give all of these contrasting examples of events that happen in our life that are appropriate within the right setting, 
and in the right time. There's a time to be born and a time to die. Now, the ones I want to highlight here are the ones... Actually, before we do that, keep a finger there. Keep a finger there. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 3. 1 Corinthians 3. Because I want us to understand the, the agricultural picture that the Lord is giving us of the growth in His kingdom before we address those over there in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, the church is struggling with exalting the ministers above their appropriate station. I am of Paul, I am of Apollos, and then some people, the level-headed people in the middle are saying, what are you talking about? I'm of Christ. And he said, you are babes in Christ. You're, you're carnal. You are not mature to understand the, the right disposition in the kingdom. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and in verse 5. Who then is Paul and who is Apollos, but ministers by whom you believed, even as the Lord gave to every man? I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither is he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry, and ye are God's building. Now, especially in regards to this church at Corinth, we referenced Acts chapter 18. That's when that church was truly planted, right? The first people were baptized into the church, and Paul said that the Lord used me. The Lord used me as an agent of his providence and an agent of his spirit to preach the gospel, and you believe the gospel, and this church was planted and established. And then I was faithful in establishing that church, but the spirit directed me in my ministry not to be a 30-year pastor of the church at Corinth, but to go to another area and establish another church. That was my calling and my ministry according to the direction of the Holy Spirit. So my, my calling, Paul's calling, was not to plant and then also to water. Now, some people did that, right? Some people have, have been instrumental and used by the Lord to plant churches and then to, to water that same flock. But in Paul's calling, he said, I planted this church, but then I passed the baton to somebody else. And Apollos came, and he faithfully watered. And these carnal Corinthian Christians were putting too much emphasis on the minister instead of the God who moved and blessed the minister. He said, listen, you're trying to create division and align yourself based on who your favorite preacher is. He said, look, Paul's not that important. Apollos is not that important. They are just agents of the Spirit and God's providence, and ultimately, the person that planted is not anything, the person that watered is not anything, but God gave the increase. God gets the glory for all of that, okay? So don't cause division based on your favorite preacher. No, if there's increase, now, God uses us. That's one of the most important things that I want the, the Spirit to allow that to sink into our minds 
is that we are the agents of God's expansion of the kingdom. We, says verse 9, we are laborers together with God. God does not send angels down from heaven to expand his kingdom. He uses the current soldiers in that kingdom to expand it. But at the same time, he uses us, but we can't take credit at all for it, right? Because it's God that gives the increase. And the planting is not more important, important than, the, than the watering, you know? They were saying, well, Paul's more important because he established the church. And then other people were saying, well, Paul left us. He, he went on to minister somewhere else. Paul, Apollos is more important because he's... he's been faithful here to, to service and, and to water this, this plant. And he said, listen, neither one of them are really that important. It's the Spirit of God that's important. It's God that gives the increase. The only reason why Paul was successful in the planting or Apollos was successful in the watering was because of God. You see, God gets the credit. And God is the one that gives the increase. And I think this is, this is true in the kingdom and it's also true in various aspects in our own life. We, we go through different seasons, and sometimes we're in a, in a planting season. Sometimes we're in a watering season. There's another season in, Acts chapter, in uh, John chapter 15 that's a purging season. You know, you may be bringing forth increase, but the Lord sees fit to purge you for the purpose that you would bring forth more fruit in the future. So you have a, a planting stage, you have a watering stage, you have a purging stage, and then you have harvest, right? Then you have increase. Now, if you think about it, the Lord, there's a reason why the Lord is using this analogy. It would be very foolish for a farmer to say, Lord, please bless me with a great crop. And then when it comes time for him to plant, he sits in the house all day and says, Lord, please bless me with a good crop. And then when it comes time, when the, 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 the crops never got planted, but then if they were planted, now it's time to water them. And then instead of going out and watering the plants that he should have planted, he prays, Lord, please give me increase. Then it'd be pretty foolish when it came harvest time for him to say, Lord, why did you not give me a harvest? No, it's very evident that the Lord blesses our faithful, diligent efforts at each season. And I'll tell you, each season is important, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, if you just plant something, but you don't water it, don't expect a good harvest, right? If you're not attentive and you don't water it and put the appropriate fertilizer, if, if you are not attentive throughout the whole process, don't expect a good harvest. But you can do everything right. You can choose the exact right seeds in the right time and you can put the right fertilizer in there and you can water it at all the appropriate times. But ultimately, it's dependent upon the will of God if that harvest is successful. You can do everything right, right, on, on your side, but it's according to the will of the Lord if it's a low, medium, or bountiful harvest, right? So the Lord uses us to build his kingdom but he's the one who gets the credit for all of it. But we also can't sit on our hands and say, Lord, please give us a harvest. You know, uh, Lord, please give us a harvest. Okay. What are you planting? Did you plant something? 
Have you watered it? We can't just sit on our hands and say, Lord, please, please grow your, give us increase in the church. And then when it's harvest or when it's planting time, we just sit in the house and we pray instead of planting, you see? But we also have to have the right calibration and the right understanding that, you know what? I could be doing all the right things, but it may just not be the Lord's will right now. It may not be the Lord's will to open this door at this time in this moment. That doesn't mean that, that the outcome will not be successful in the future, whether it be, let's talk about the different stages of life for a moment, whether it be graduating high school or finishing college or getting married or having a child or reaching retirement, whatever that benchmark is, You have to wait patiently on that day to come. And boy, it can, I'm so glad for the pictures in the Old Testament that the Lord gives us of those as a whole, they waited faithfully like Abraham. As a whole, he waited faithfully. But boy, he got impatient, right? He doubted. He d and that's a reality. It's not, it's not sinful to have the why question pop in your head. You just can't let that why question linger long enough to allow it to make you doubt God and question him. That's inevitable that those thoughts are going to pop in our head. When Paul, I mean, uh, for, for Abraham, uh, Genesis chapter 15 is the best example. We don't have an exact date of when that happened, but I think it's reasonable to say it's been at least 10 or 12 years since he's been told at age 75 that he's going to have a, well, he was told before that, 75 is when he left Haran. But he's been told for 10 to 12 years that the Lord is going to give him a child. I'm thankful that the Lord has not forced me to wait 10 or 12 years for something that I know is coming. <laughs> and he's promised me it's coming. But see, also as a caveat, our walk of faith is a lot different than Abraham because there's a good chance that you haven't been told definitively. I don't, I'm not, I've never been told definitively of anything that is positively coming. I'm just very hopeful because of desires and burdens that I may have, okay? But if you had to wait 10 or 12 years on something, I think I would have some natural doubts kind of creep into my mind too. Now, what's impressive about Abraham, though, and, and there in Genesis chapter 15, is that he questions the Lord. He said, look, am I, uh, is my seed just going to be my servant, a servant, Eliezer, that's in my house? And he said, no, it's going to be of your own loins. And then, to his credit, to his credit, and this is the, what's so impressive about that in Genesis chapter 15 is that is the principal example of justification by faith in the whole New Testament. But it's on the heels of Abraham doubting God's promise. Okay? So inevitably those thoughts are going to crop, uh, crop in your head. But when you do that, you need to remind yourself of the truth of God's word. Because God's not going to speak to you directly to remind you. He gave you his word to remind you of that. It's okay for those doubts to creep in your head, but when God reaffirms his promise, that's when it says in Genesis chapter 15 and verse six, 
that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. Now understand, that was on the heels of him doubting God. But when God reaffirms his promise, we trust God by faith, okay? And that's true in our personal life and it's certainly true in the kingdom because just like how we go through different seasons in our own life, we go through seasons in the church. You go through uh, the planting here in direct context is the establishment of the church. And this church is already obviously well established in the sense of it being uh, constituted and founded. But there is always varying degrees of planting, watering, purging, and harvest that are going on, right? You, we hope that in, in different contexts that we're interacting with people and you plant a seed here and you plant a seed there, somebody visits and, and we try to show them love and make them feel warm and welcome. You're planting that seed and you hope come back to come back the next time you have a chance to, to water that seed. And you know what? They may not ever join. We don't know. We don't know if the Lord's going to give increase. We just got to be faithful in trying to plant a seed and, and water it to the best of our ability. And then you, as parents, you hope to be planting the right seeds in your children and you hope to be watering them so that at a later date, you will see a harvest of them in the kingdom. And then you take all of those together, these, all these individual transactions of, at different stages of watering and uh, planting and watering and growth, all of them cumulatively together, then as a church, you see different seasons of planting and watering and purging and growth. And we don't necessarily know with perfect knowledge what season we're in. We also don't know how long we may be in that season. But God's promise is always that if we are faithful in the planting, if we're faithful in the watering, if we're humble in the purging, <laughs> then the Lord will bless us with increase. In Galatians chapter 6 and verse 10, this is a Bible promise that I try to remind myself of very often because it's, it's, uh, it's hard to not get like Abraham. It really is. It's hard when you have a long-term perspective, a long-term vision, it's hard to not get bogged down in the day-to-day -day minutia, okay? In Galatians chapter 6, he's using the same agricultural analogy of sowing and reaping. Let's just start here in verse 7. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall the Spirit reap life everlasting. Let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. And I'm really happy that that shall's in there, <laughs> just like all the rest of the shall's that we take great comfort in in the Scriptures. He didn't say that, now, if you're diligent and you're faithful, well, it may work out for you, it may not. No, if we're as faithful and diligent as we should be, and we're all going to get tired. We're all going to get tired. As a little side note to that, this is a verse that I have referenced, um, have a note of this verse right beside Galatians chapter 6 and verse 9. In Hebrews chapter 2, he gives the, uh, excuse me, Hebrews chapter 12, 
he finishes the Hall of Fame of Faith and all of these people that walk by faith and not by sight. They had the promises of God. There were different periods in their life where they individually, if you go through this whole chapter, the scripture gives us knowledge of just about every single one of these doubted God at some point in their walk of faith. But you see how they quenched that doubt and as a whole walked by faith, and you see their example. Wherefore, seeing also we are accomplished about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that's set before us. Okay? Something we really have to keep in mind is the kingdom of God is a marathon. It's not a sprint. Okay? And boy, that's true in our own lives too, isn't it? <laughs> You know, if you think that you're in a sprint and I have to get to this certain benchmark before some artificially imposed third-party time limit, then you know what? You may burn yourself out at a time that's not the right time. You know, you have all of these, I talked about all these different benchmarks that in our mind we may think we're supposed to meet. And then you have stereotypical ideas of how quickly you're supposed to meet each of those benchmarks. And if anybody's falling behind, that means that you're losing out on the sprint in the world's eyes. Well, no, listen, there is no individual time limit benchmarks on each of those major milestones in your life. No, listen, everybody's race is different, right? Everybody's race is different. The timing in everyone's life is different. So, with the understanding that we're in a long-term marathon, and just because somebody says you're not meeting this benchmark by the time that we think that you're supposed to meet, doesn't mean that you're supposed to get outside the will of God and try to sprint to meet that benchmark before you think that you're going to be missing out of some requirement that's imposed on you by some third party. What I mean by that, let's just get practical. I mean, you gotta be married by a certain time. I know many people that have made horrible decisions in their first marriage because they felt the pressure to run that sprint to get to the finish line instead of waiting patiently on God's will. And then you have the mess of divorce and everything else because they did not wait patiently on God's will. We could give so many more examples of that. You have this external pressure that you have to meet this benchmark by a certain time and I'm going to compromise the principles of God's word to make sure I meet that benchmark. Listen, we're in a marathon and everyone's race is different. So when maybe you're a little discouraged because your race is not panning out just like you think that it should, that's when in verse 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, verse 3 is the one that I wanted. Now, if you get wearied in your mind and you get tired of running faithfully in the midst of a marathon, we look to Jesus as our example. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself lest you be wearied and faint in your mind. You know, the Jews were always looking for the Messiah, and I bet there were many generations before the time of Jesus that in their mind they are 
hopefully reverently, saying, Lord, why are you not bringing a Messiah right now? Look at all of these problems. Look at at the mess that we're in. If you've promised a Messiah, clearly this should be the time that you bring a Messiah. But according to God's will, listen, he came at the exact right time. Right? Jesus Christ, according to... Now, obviously, all events are not predestinated, but there is something special about the arrival and the appointment of Jesus Christ and his crucifixion where it says that he was delivered by the determinate counsel of God. It's the most important event in all of history. And he came at the exact time appointed by God. And there's a lot of Jews that probably looked up to heaven and question God, why have you not brought the Messiah yet? Especially, boy, you get down in the middle of the Babylonian captivity, all these horrible things that happened in the, in the history of Israel. Our natural reaction to that is going to say, Lord, if this is going to be the outcome, why didn't you allow this outcome to happen and bring your Messiah right now to get rid of Nebuchadnezzar, right? But listen, God, according to his own will, sent the Messiah at the exact right time. And don't you know that Jesus sitting up in heaven, he heard those prayers. He heard those prayers of his saints. And it probably hurt his heart a little bit to have them questioning his timing, questioning his will. But you know what? He endured that and said, you know what? I know they don't understand it. They can't see the full picture the way that I can see the full picture. And they may not understand in the moment, but you know what? I am going to suffer my children questioning me and endure that, and I'm still going to show up at the exact right time, even if they question it and they don't understand it in the midst of trial and tribulation. Okay? Now, obviously, this is imposing a lot on the Lord, but it says that the Lord, that Jesus Christ endured. It was probably difficult for the Lord whose heart is touched with the feeling of our infirmities to have all these these children of God doubting the will and the promise of God of when he saw fit to send the Son of God. But you know what? He endured that because he knew the right time was coming. Okay? So, it's inevitable that in this marathon, we're going to get tired. You're going to get weary. It's inevitable that you get weary. The question is, how do you respond when you get get weary, right? You look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith, and if if we remain faithful and if we remain diligent, in due season we shall reap if we faint not. And something I've tried to remind myself so often is that rarely will you see the full effect of your diligence in your lifetime. I mean, think about so many people that were diligent two, three, four, five generations ago is the reason why there are families that are pillars in the Primitive Baptist Church. You know, there are prayers. I, I see areas where the Lord has sent amazing blessing and amazing revival. And yes, there are people in the moment that are praying diligently, but 
those are most likely the fulfillment of years and years and years of prayers of people who are already dead and gone and with the Lord. But their diligence is the reason why there was a church to be revived 50 years later. Do you understand that? God does not expect, God is not required to allow us to see the full effect of our increase in our lifetime or in our vision either. That's something I try to remind myself often that I just want to serve the best I can in the kingdom of God and the Lord can use my efforts in the kingdom of God according to his will because I will never see the full effects of my ministry. I will never see the full, and I don't, it's not up to me to see the full effects of it, okay? But I have a tendency to view success by those same externally imposed benchmarks. And if you're not meeting those benchmarks, then you're probably not successful. Instead, some of the most faithful people that have ever been in the kingdom of God are these faithful, diligent sisters who were much more fervent in their prayers than any preacher could ever hope to be. And it's the, it's the effect of their prayers on their children and their grandchildren and the church in the future. Is the reason why the Lord is blessing today is because, in large, to a large degree, the prayers of faithful saints in the past. So you know what? My diligence, my faithfulness, if I remain faithful, it's not up to me. There will be increase. There will be harvest. There will be blessing in due season. But I'm not obligated. The Lord does not uh, require to allow me to be there when the harvest comes. Because guess what? It's not about the person that plants. It's not about the person that waters. It's about God giving the increase. And my diligence today, I may not even see the effects of my diligence today. My responsibility is just to be faithful. It's <laughs> just to be diligent. And you know what? The Lord will honor that. The Lord will honor that in due season. <laughs> Remember, it's not up to us to know the times and the seasons. We, we probably won't, will not see the full effect of our diligence in our lifetime. But, but man, what a blessing it would be if those that we invite to church, that if the Spirit moves and they join the church, and maybe my small little effort, think, think about all the small little... One of the most important people in the entire New Testament is little old bitty Ananias. He, he only has a couple verses in Acts chapter 9, but you want to know he did one of the, arguably, one of the most important actions in the advancement of the kingdom of God. And you want to know what it was? It was not him going out and evangelizing the whole world. It was him going and preaching to the Apostle Paul and baptizing the Apostle Paul. Ananias' diligence to be willing to say and, and to... You know, his, his initial reaction was, I've heard about this guy. I'm not going to go and preach to him because he's going to either throw me in jail or compel me to blaspheme or kill me. I'm not going to do that. And the Lord said, no, he's a, uh, I, he, he prayeth 
and he's a chosen vessel unto me. And you look at the effect that Ananias' diligence to go and preach to Paul had over the entire kingdom and for us today. You see that? These little bitty people, that's who God uses. He didn't have any option. Because <laughs> guess what? There's nobody big in the kingdom. <laughs> he didn't have any other option to use little bitty people. He uses little old bitty Ananias as one of the most important people in the kingdom. So what I, I say that to say, your small token of inviting someone to church, you never know how that may be the person that sparks revival in the kingdom. And you may be dead and gone when, they, when they, what happens. You know, your diligence to raise your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, their faithfulness is instilled in them. They know how, how they should instill that in their children. And then that continues throughout the, the different generations. Look how many faithful primitive Baptists and faithful disciples of Christ have been blessings in the kingdom because of the diligence of just two parents. You see? God can take our He can take our little loaves and fishes and, five, and feed five thousand people with it, right? He, does, he takes our little bitty things and does great things. Okay, I want to go back to Ecclesiastes chapter three, and just remind us that everything has a season and a purpose. We go through different seasons in the church, different seasons in our life. To everything, there is a season and a time to every purpose under the sun: a time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant. But guess what? There's also a time to pluck up that which is planted, right? I mean, what's going to happen? I think one of the problems that uh, we struggled with in the Primitive Baptist Church is, you know, there's a great generation that's planted. But the problem is we're not planting something else. And what happens when that, that generation that's been planted, that's faithful for 50 years, they, they die and pass away? Well, what happens if you don't plant something else? Right? You have to pluck up that which is pl- a time to kill, a time to heal, a time to break down, a time to build up, a time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to mourn, a time to death, a time to cast away stones, but there's also a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace, a time to refrain from embracing, a time to get, there's also a time to lose, a time to keep, a time to cast away, a time to rend, a time to sow, a time to keep silence, and a time to speak, a time to love, a time to hate, a time of war, a time of peace. Verse 11. He hath made everything beautiful in his time, right? By the way, as a side note, Jeremiah chapter 1, Jeremiah is being called to minister. And he said, I'm too young. Kind of that Timothy syndrome slash Moses syndrome. I can't do this. I'm, I'm too young. I'm not equipped. And he said... Don't be afraid of their faces. Verse 8, I'm going to be with you. But he tells them that your ministry... Now this is... We look at Jeremiah as a very unsuccessful preacher. Right? Because he had very minimal, if any, probably he can count on one hand, of people that actually listened to him. People that were actually converted. But he says that your calling, he was called in a, in a very bad time with pagan worship, calling the people to repentance. So there were issues that needed to be addressed. There were things that needed to be changed. And he said, your ministry is going to be primarily negative. 
I want you to notice the things he says here, four of them are negative and only two of them are positive. Verse 10, See, I have uh, this day set thee over the nations and over the kingdom to root out, pull down, destroy and throw down, and then to build and to plant. You know, what was impressive about Jeremiah was actually he did do some building and planting. <laughs> now, from our perspective, it didn't look like that he did much building and planting, right? But according to the Lord, he did. His ministry was primarily negative. There was a lot that needed to be taken care of. There's a lot that needed to be rooted out and thrown down. But in the midst of that, once you get rid of the bad stuff, now it's up to you to build and to plant. I want to hit John chapter 15 very quickly in the purging stage. John chapter 15. I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. God expects fruit to his glory. Verse 8, here is my father glorified that you bear much fruit. God expects fruit for his glory. And if there's not fruit, if we're not, if we're not faithful to plant, to water, so there is a harvest. The Lord is not unrighteous to give that vineyard to somebody else. That's what he did with the Jews. They were not faithful with what he'd given them. They didn't bring forth fruit. And he said, all right, I'm going to take away your field and I'm going to give it to the Gentiles. I'm going to give it to somebody who's going to be faithful with what, with what I've given unto them. Every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. So even if we're bringing forth fruit in the long-range vision of our lives and of the kingdom, it's better for us to be purged to bring forth more fruit in the future. Now, is the purging comfortable? Rarely, right? I mean, most of the time he's going to send some degree of fire of affliction. There's going to be some chat. There's, there's going to be something that's uncomfortable about the purging. But the Lord sends that for the purpose of us bringing forth greater fruit in the future. So we have different seasons in our own life, different seasons in the church, planting, watering, purging, and then hopefully if we're diligent and faithful, increase. And I just want to give you one verse to, to close, to meditate on when we do get weary. Because the scripture is obviously perfectly inspired and there's a reason why it's worded in the way that in due season you shall reap if you faint not. If you're weary and you press through and you don't faint and you don't give up. Because the Lord knows it's, it's hard to keep pressing through especially when we feel like that our efforts aren't making any substantial effect. So when we get that weary, Isaiah chapter 40 and in verse 31, but they that wait upon the Lord, just in case you're getting a little tired, just in case you're getting a little weary, let's actually back up to verse 29. He giveth power to the faint. You know, do you have any strength in yourself to keep on going? Probably not, but guess what? Your strength is made perfect in, his strength is made perfect in your weakness, right? He giveth power to the faint, and to them that have no might, he increaseth strength. Verse 31, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. 
and they shall walk and not faint. Pray the Lord will allow us to have strength in the midst of um, our, our waiting and our diligence and, and hope that the Lord will be honored by our efforts that in due season, according to His will, that we shall reap if we faint not. And then the beautiful verse in Acts chapter 2 and verse 47, that the Lord added daily to the church such as should be saved. And that is the harvest, that is the effect of the diligence that the church had in the 42nd verse through verse 47. And we hope that the Lord will bless us to be diligent as well in due season, according to God's will. We hope that He will bless us to reap if we faint not. We thank you for listening to today's message and invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For further information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org.